Hello and welcome to Pilot Study Episode 1. It's the pilot of Pilot Study, the only one we're ever going to have, and we have to make it special. My name is Chris Lantinen, I am your host, and I am joined, and I'll be joined through this whole journey, by Grimes. Welcome. Hello, sir. Happy to be here. Today we're doing the pilot episode of The Twilight Zone, which originally aired on October 2nd, 1959. So let's put 25 minutes on the clock. Pilot study Chris and Grimes. They're talking all of your favorite shows, but only the pilot episode that means the first show. In case you didn't know. When you never know what show they're gonna talk about, but they're only gonna talk about the first one. And that's the premise behind pilot study. So to get us started here, let's do a quick episode breakdown of that pilot episode. Again, we are going to be doing a 25-minute episode, the exact running time of the actual Twilight Zone pilot, and that's how we'll be running it for all the episodes. So hopefully there's not like a (laughs) three-hour long pilot out there that I'm missing at some point. I think the Fargo one, the recent Fargo show, was like two hours, so we'll have to wait until we're, you know, pros by then. But do let's do the quick episode breakdown. I'm gonna hand that over to you. All right. So in this episode of the Twilight Zone, character Mike Ferris finds himself alone in the small town of Oakwood. Uh, He has no recollection of his name, who he is, where he is. He um, has amnesia, he thinks. Uh, He's wandering through town trying to find anyone living or dead. Uh, And the tension just builds and builds and builds till near the end of the episode until uh, Mike has a breakdown. (laughs) We won't talk about what what that breakdown entails quite yet. Right. But uh, yeah, that's the that's the basic breakdown of the episode. And I'll go over some of the key people that were involved. We have director Robert Stevens. It was written, of course, by the great Rod Serling, who who's also the host, correct? Yeah, who I think he eventually be, so he doesn't do like his little walk on where he's in the scene on this one, but he does that at some point, right? He does. I think um, interstitials uh, coming in and out of commercial, and they they would like run him talking a little bit just to kind of bring people back. That's what I thought because they he does he does do the voiceover in this episode like all the others, but he doesn't actually show up. But of course, it was written by him. Um, Earl Holloman plays, what's the guy's name, Mike Ferris, the guy who's alone. And a nice little fact here, Bernard Herman did the score for this episode, and he also worked on a lot of good Hitchcock stuff like North by Northwest, Psycho, and he was just a very famous composer all in all. Very interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. So for the Twilight Zone, for this first episode, let's just go right into some overall thoughts. You said that this is a show that you used to watch growing up. And I did. It, it kind of scares you when you when you were growing up. It definitely scared me. It, it's um, you know, the black and white. That's it's very Hitchcock esque, and I would I don't know. My mom must have just had these shows on at night as I was going to bed, which is great. Um, but yeah, I've always been scared of the Twilight Zone. Even watching this again, it definitely got my blood pressure up, and I was just like waiting for you know what what was going to happen to this guy. You know, it's interesting that we're starting with this show because. It's really different than a lot of the pilots we're going to talk about in that it's an anthology series. So there's there it it kind of misses the pitfalls that most pilots have to go through because it doesn't have to like build any character up really. 
mm-hmm. because it doesn't have to like set up anything for future episodes. Right, it's just one and done stories, and um, that is great. And it also it just seems so ahead of its time. You know, just the acting and the the writing and the way that it was shot. It wasn't so corny. Like, I mean, like I love Lucy and the other fifty stuff that's just you know, selling cigarettes and soap. This was like a real thing. <laughs> it seems like this could come out now or like a reboot or something. I think in a lot of the cheesiness in those old shows really goes back to like what was the accept accepted acting practices of those yes. times. And, yeah. and this guy doesn't really like, at times it does get a little stagey and it gets kind of like when he's talking in the mirror and he's kind of like questioning himself. It yeah, does, that soliloquy from Dickens. Yeah. yeah, it does feel a little like this was more for a stage play than anything else since it was i'm sure shot on a studio lot and but really that's the only time that it feels really not modern i guess we could say and the anthology thing is weird because anthologies are kind of coming back now like you have black mirror i think i recommended that show did you ever end up watching black mirror not yet okay that's on netflix if anybody's interested it's a really really good anthology show and we also have things like true detective which I'd call an anthology, but season by season, it you know mm-hmm. it changes, and we have you know American Horror Story, we have uh, Fargo, so a lot of thing, a lot of places are kind of going with the anthology. We can reset this at the end of at the end of the season or episode type of approach, but I mean obviously the Twilight Zone is the most famous famous example of being able to do this. Yeah, and they did it. They, you know, it's just. I can't believe it's from 1959. I don't know <laughs> what more to say. It just seems like so current. I I feel like we're gonna run into a lot of pilots that we dislike because they have to like set up those characters. They have to do those first introductions. Anything with a laugh track. Has yeah, to there be- has to be the kooky neighbor, the girlfriend, the work friend, <laughs> the work environment. You have to do that all in 22 minutes. It was refreshing to find that this old show wasn't under those constrictions it would be funny to do like old 50s shows like i love lucy the pilot and see if they had kind of if their pilots are as bad as the ones we get today which <laughs> I bet they, the pilot they. I, i'm trying to stay away from anything released in the last couple of years for a while because that's just going to be really depressing even really? pilots like parks and rec and the office suck and those yeah. are like shows that ended up being really good. So I guess we're getting off track and we only have 25 minutes. So. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so do you just want to kind of talk about the opening and maybe how they shoot that beginning scene, you know, with the diner and everything? Yeah. So it opens and this guy's walking on a, a road, seems like out of nowhere. And he comes upon a cafe. It's just, here's music. Uh, very loud music goes in to investigate i love the prices on the wall too just as an aside there it's like 30 cents for a breakfast or whatever um they have all these vegetables listed for like 10 cents i thought it was weird but anyway that would be nice so he he's walking in this town you know here's music there's food cooking coffee diner typical normal 50s diner you would expect jukebox he starts talking nobody's there uh, he goes, nobody's answering. He goes behind the counter. No one's there. He goes out back and he's just, um, that's when you start to realize that he might be alone. Yeah. The, like the tea's still on and like, it seems like people have recently been there and yeah. all just kind of like decided to leave him. I like this line in the beginning where he says, I got $2 and 85 cents Ameri- <laughs> American money. Right. Right. And I mean, that's so, such an American uh trope i guess that we would just demand like someone feed us and 
because we have money and we're yelling and <laughs> we want food. You know, there's no one there. But, yeah, he gets pretty indignant. Um, these, um, these, these are the kind of the notes I had about the beginning. I had that. I had great great baked good props. Everything looked really <laughs> delicious. Like Yeah, stuff looked real. That's that's a lost art. And um, with the mannequin thing, so he leaves the diner after right. he asks where people are for about a billion times. And I guess that's another way that the acting's kind of kooky and a little cheesy. He takes a long time to realize that nobody's there. Yeah, and I noticed during that part, as the suspense did kind of start to build as he's leaving the diner, they did do some great, like, still shots Mm -hmm. while he was, you know, to kind of maybe, I don't know, help along with him just constantly saying, where is everybody in that weird (laughs) 50s TV accent? Kind of British, kind of stuck-up sounding. (laughs) that everyone all those actors seem to have too but um there were some just like good empty public area shots i had that note here um during that time as well as the big i didn't mention baked goods specifically but i noted like the burning cigar um once he gets to like the soda shop or whatever mm-hmm. the, so man- the, the mannequin the, yeah oh yeah skipping <laughs> i skipped the mannequin so then he leaves the, the cafe he's wandering through town it's super empty he's and he finally sees someone and he's talking having this long conversation kind of explaining his scenario and he gets up to it and this really freaked me out i actually jumped in my chair it's a mannequin <laughs> uh, and i also noted like <laughs> mannequins and dolls and puppets are and like little kids anything that's not supposed to be scary in regular life always freaks me out way more in like a scary show or movie i think you're afraid of women and having children someday yeah I'm, this must be about <laughs> issues here but like (laughs) it was a mannequin i just i don't know because then i'm thinking is she gonna come to life and like kill this dude is she like and then it showed the the mannequin factory and i'm like if he goes in there and they're like mirrors and living mannequins and stuff i'm i'm out i can't watch it (laughs) you know before we do too much of the beat by beat let's you know let's get into some themes that play here and uh i did pull some information from the av club so I do want to reference them. I think I have the writer here somewhere, so I can eventually... Um, ta- oh, Todd Vanderwerf was the writer, and he published a review on this episode back in 2011. And um, he made a suggestion that the town that he's in could be like a nuclear testing site that's about to be hit, and I thought that was a really interesting idea. Like something like out of... Uh, this is a bad reference, but Indiana Jones, the latest Indiana Jones... Have you ever seen that one? Uh, unfortunately, no. So I'm not going to get the reference. <laughs> okay, right. you don't. I don't think you want to. Just stay away from it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, everyone said it was terrible. So I'm like, I'll, I'll save my couple hours and twenty mm-hmm. bucks. Um, and he also wrote about the show's relationship to the World War, which I thought was really interesting. Because so, the bombings, the bombings happened in 1945, the nuclear bombings, and he writes that, and the specter of the atomic bomb hangs over every single one of these episodes he reviewed several in that little block i think a monster that could end human life in a few minutes if someone would just push a button the twilight zone is all wrapped up in that terror and the idea that the world as it should be is not the world that is and the world that existed before hiroshima and nagasaki is also not the world we're living any in in anymore so he comes to this empty town it looks like it's it hasn't been decimated but it's completely devoid of life and it's not the world it was before the bombings is what this author is pushing forth and i thought that was a really interesting way to kind of bring in what what was going on historically at that time with the themes of the episode 
Yeah, and not having that context, you know, not living it, thankfully, and remembering that. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the fear of the bomb isn't it. We're now afraid of Al-Qaeda and ISIS and stuff, so it's a different right. fear. And it's much less real, I guess, because, you know, those wars aren't being fought here. There's not a ton of threat, usually, of, like, that happening here anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think he did mention, too, like, that in, in the episode, like, oh, if it, if it was the bomb, like not everything's still here. Oh, so he did actually say something about the bomb. He did. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. And, so that makes sense. And of course, the other big theme at play here is solitude and loneliness, and you know they. I guess we should eventually. We're gonna spoil the ending, and a <laughs> lot, a lot of these. Not many will have like twist endings, but he is in a simulation of sorts that his mind has drifted to this empty town, and the simulation he's in. Um, being watched over by these very stereotypical army generals, like the worst men alive just watching over him, is that yeah. they're simulating uh, his traveling to the moon and the time that you're, you would be alone while traveling to the moon. So I can't remember how long he makes it. Oh, I actually do have it. 488 hours. He was, he's in this box that they have set him up in. So Yeah, and, I wrote that down too. And I think a, a misunderstanding or some misunderstanding somebody could have is that they were trying to simulate this experience. Like they were trying to make him have this vision, but this is all his doing. This is him creating a creating an alternate reality to kind of stave off loneliness, I think, right? Is that what you took out of the end? That is, and I was really thinking about that and wondering what this, you know, the military tends to just use who they view as nobodies just for purposes like this. So that with the bomb stuff and the fact that it was right after World War II and during the Korean War and all these war, 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 like, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's easy to believe they would do this to somebody for real. And then he, he eventually yeah, figures out he's in the Air Force in this uh, simulation. They talk to him afterwards. And well, he seems, like kind he's, of, he seems like he's kind of a big deal. Like, he's going to go to the moon, right? Right. Like, this, you know, in 10 years later, that happened for real. So maybe mm -hmm. this part of, like, the sci-fi angle here. But what I thought was, like, the loneliness of, like, space travel and that post-war life where everybody kind of, like, went to the suburbs and there was no more, you know... There was a lot going on in society, and the more you think about it, you can pull a lot out of this episode. Mm -hmm. But loneliness, isolation, going to the moon, bombings, like what it was to be an American at that time, it's all pretty crazy. And they say that the one thing they can't simulate is man's hunger for a companion. So, of course, they're referencing that loneliness. And my question, maybe I just don't know a ton about space travel, <laughs> you know, yeah, and things I, like that. Yeah. Are they just sending one person to space? Uh, maybe he's gonna be like, no friends. Maybe it was like the first human space monkey, like see what happens, test flight style, and like they needed a guy with the intestinal and a intellectual fortitude to handle that. Maybe this, this guy wasn't it. This guy obviously did not have it. <laughs> no, he, you know, another thing I'm thinking is if he's so lonely and he's isolated, why, when he creates this place in his mind, is it empty? Wouldn't you create like? Why don't you create people? Like at least like a girl or something. Come on. Right. So he failed the test. He cracked like the general. <laughs> this guy's out. Did, wait, did they kick him out of the program at the end? 
I think they they took him out on a stretcher underneath a blanket. <laughs> he was all sweaty, so I don't know. I don't does he get to stay in the Air Force? Is he going home now? Like, what's his problem? But I wish I did the math for how many for how many days four hundred and eighty eight hours are. But I I would just be hungry. Yeah, I think like two weeks or something. They said I don't know. Hundred hours is like four days. So. Maybe maybe they had him hooked up to some needles for his uh, his water and his food. All those fancy electrodes that were available in nineteen fifty nine. Yeah. Computer. Like, I would after like three hours, I'd I'd need like a snack or something, you know, like maybe maybe some M and M's or some chips or like you yeah, need to feed me a steady supply of snacks. Maybe that's why he kept going to like cafes and soda shops in his hallucinations. <laughs> he did he did get ice cream. I do remember that. Um, I also just watched The Martian, and they deal with isolation in like a very humorous way, um, in that program and. And it's really this everlasting ideal that shows up in science fiction, people being stranded on planets, people being lost, you know, I was going to say lost in space, but I think yeah, there's, 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 mul- another, there's multiple I, people yeah. there um, in that program. But um, also Moon, which deals with isolation in a different way. Um, I won't break, I won't spoil the twist there, but it does deal with that idea. So it's, it's certainly uh, something that goes across science fiction and a lot of our history up until today even in, even a movie that was released just a few weeks ago i do want to um point something out real quick is that the town in this show is the town from back to the future what yeah i'm not messing around the the like town hall thing that's the clock tower wow somebody how did i miss some, all that somebody's listening to this who's an expert and is just saying nope no, I'm I'm done with this podcast. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, you know, we just had the real day of of October in 2015, so I'm surprised that wasn't on my mind. I did not notice that. Yeah, it's. I just I kind of noticed it, and then I went and looked it up. I, this is a Wikipedia fact, I think, or it came from several sources, so I think it's correct. But Which they were they were just using that same lot on Universal or Warner Brothers or wherever they were working. It's not at. that much of a stretch. No, and I think some other stuff has been produced there as well, but. Yeah. Yeah, the clock tower especially stood out to me, or as it's used in this one, the town hall. What else do you want to hit on in terms of the episode itself? I think we're at about 18 minutes or so. Um, well, I don't know. I guess I liked the the Last Man on Earth, the book. That reminded me of the show now, Last Man on Earth, which I love. Right. Uh, I definitely got that. I Because of that show, and I'm watching that now, I kept waiting for okay, when's the lady going to show up that's going to be his girlfriend and help him through this, you know? <laughs> because that's another, like, television trope. You always have to have, like, a heterosexual white couple, and right. they encounter, like, various others along the way to accomplishing only what they need to, you know, they help no one. They just, you know, accomplish what they need to accomplish. So I'm like, is this dude going to take the mannequin? I keep coming back to the mannequin, but I don't know. It really stuck to me. I'm trying to find who wrote that version of The Last Man on Earth because... There was one written by Isaac Isaac Asimov. Uh yeah. And I think that was that's the one we see, right? That's the only one that I was released. So. Okay. Because I'm looking at the date and it's after the episode, but I'm pretty sure this is just a newer version. I'd have to double check on who actually wrote that one. I actually I really liked the theater scene and um I like it one because it's the movie's battle hymn and the guy's like wearing an Air Force suit, the Rock right. Hot, the Rock Hudson character. And um, at one, in his mind. yeah, and then after he runs out of the theater, when shit really hits the fan, when the movie's playing and nobody's in there, the camera kind of becomes skewed for really the first time. It's like kind of tipping on its side, 
and yeah. as he falls into the bike the camera like tips over kind of maybe to depict like the fact that he has finally broken himself <laughs> and of course that leads to him pushing the panic button which is on a street light or something like that so he just got lucky pushing that or was it just going to be whatever he pushed I guess they f- must have figured he would just fall forward and push something, but right. you know, since they weren't designing it, that was a little confusing. How, how would that? But he must have just dreamt up he some did, reason to push it. He didn't fall over or lean over in in the rest of his dream. It was that right. was the first time, I guess. Um, let's see what Very else we got here. Oh, so a couple more facts. He would, and something that we can discuss really quickly is that. He, when he wrote this as a short story after the fact, he actually added an ending. So he adds an ending of the lead character finding a ticket stub in his pocket when he is being carried away on the stretcher. Would you have liked? Would you have liked that ending more, or would you have disliked it? I like. I would like it more as a fan of like closure and tied up, tying things up. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like how you just don't know what happened to this guy. Like, he was in the military. He had, you know, this is like another thing that goes back to good sci fi, which is always questioning, like, the dangers of power and anti, like, authority. Oh, yeah. So the ending, I like that, that this guy could end up, you know, just another, like, messed up vet because of some government experiment. Gotcha. Dangers of overuse. Gotcha. And, and really, Sorry. I think they, they mentioned it at one point, but the way. It's phrased. Hold on, let me find it. We're really, we're really sucking at this point, aren't we? I guess I'm rusty. I just can't find my notes. <laughs> hold on. Okay, they talk about the the concept of valuing the individual at the cost of progress. So we're gonna send this guy to the moon, but by the time he gets back, he may be broken emotionally and in a mental institution. We're gonna perform this experiment on him, but it may break him permanently right but it's worth it to advance whatever the agenda mm -hmm. and that battle was going on and probably probably in spades at that time we had the war we had the individual progress of creating the bomb but what does that do to society as a whole and we had the technological progress of the space race and i mean the first people that were sent into space they were basically guinea pigs so right. <laughs> it was progress. Yeah, you have no idea but, if you're coming back, if you're going right. to blow up before you even get out of Florida. Like, you don't so, know. I mean, so what's that cost? And one more little fact that I want to throw out there is that this is actually the second Twilight Zone pilot that was produced. And we only have a couple minutes left, so I'm going to hurry. And the first aired as an episode of the Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse. So th- there was another pilot that was produced as part of that show. And I believe the first script he wrote for this pilot that was actually on the network, I think it was on CBS, it was like too dark. And I, I believe those ideas came back and maybe they did the episode later on, but it was too dark. So this was a, a secondary script that he wrote. Um, and I, we can add one of the links that talks about that episode into the show notes so that you guys can kind of read what that des- what that Westinghouse episode was about. And the last thing I want to do, and hopefully what we can do every time, is I want to look at a review. So we have an original review from The Hollywood Reporter on the subject. It was the review of that very first episode, and I'll just kind of read a little snippet of it. In fall 1959, CBS debuted The Twilight Zone for television audiences on October 2nd. This is the original review. The debut scored with dramatic impact infrequently found when the TV camera attempts to focus on the fringes of fantasy, and while short on insight, it was strong on style and solidly suspenseful. So I thought that was interesting because it's mostly known for being an insightful program. 
Right, and I, you know, I like that the writers of the Twilight Zone and this review are writing under the assumption that the audience is smart enough to understand, like, a Dickens reference or, Mm -hmm. you know, smart language that isn't written at a third grade level. I really Mm -hmm. appreciate that. And they they, fi- they finished the review with, unfortunately, the debut title, Where Is Everybody?, posed a question that could be best best be answered by another network. I don't know what that means. Me but when word gets around, oh, they, they're referencing ratings, Where Is Everybody?, but when word gets around, Twilight should give the competition a run for their ratings. And that was written. I'd say they did pretty well. Yeah, that was written by Harvey Carmen. So I think we should uh, I think we should wrap this up. We're pretty close to twenty five minutes. Do you cool. have any plugs you want to throw out there? Any plugs? Yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter at underscore Grimes John. That's about it. That's all I'm up to. All right, I'm at I'm on Twitter at Chris Lantinen, and we are going to be on Twitter. Hopefully, we are by the time this episode airs. At um, I think it is Pilot Study Pod. I think, I think that's what we settled on. I got rid of my Gmail document. I don't know why. But, uh, of course, this was the Twilight Zone episode titled Where Is Everybody? And he, of course, exclaims it at one part of the episode that we will, I guess, finish this episode with. All Alrighty. right. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Watch it. Yes, thanks for listening. We recommend this, right? Yeah, and I think I'm going to, based on this pilot, I will watch a few more episodes and see where it takes me. I think I'm going to join you. Thanks for listening, guys. Hey, and welcome to a very special epilogue of the Pilot Study Podcast. We wanted to kind of do a few quick introductions and maybe just talk about what we're looking or what we're aiming for the show to be here at the end of the very first one. Usually, the episodes will last exactly as long as the actual pilot episode. So today we did a 25-minute one in honor of the Twilight Zone, and I forgot to mention the episode. Did you know that the reboot episodes are actually 40 minutes? I did not. Did you know there was a reboot of this show? I, I did not. I think <laughs> I referenced that there should have been one. Uh, Ho- host- turns out I had a great idea. <laughs> hosted by Forrest Whitaker, of all people. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, pretty. Uh, I don't think you wrote it like the previous host did, though. So anyways, of course, my name is Chris. I am joined here by Grimes. We met in graduate school in Edinburgh, yes. Pennsylvania, just for a little background. I made a joke about doing acid, and we've been friends ever since. That's true. Uh, so. I thought you were serious, and I was very excited. <laughs> so... um I think uh, I think it'd be helpful if you if me and you just kind of talked about the genesis of this project, which, like many projects, was conceived over alcohol. Yeah, I, it's very rare in life that I meet anybody with my deep love and obscure, trivialistic knowledge of pop culture and TV and movies and music, and we definitely have a lot of that stuff in common, mm-hmm. and also podcasting. So it kind of like put itself the idea came to fruition on its own it, it was a natural thing and mm-hmm. uh, we had a summer off with not a lot to do um so it took and a while, but you know yeah it took a while and so the story goes is that we conceived it at the bar 
late night. We thought it was a genius idea. We had the name of pilot season, which which is, is the real genius of it, you know. Which is yeah, the real genius of it. The name really drew us in, and then we did one episode in my house down by the lake, and um, then that episode went nowhere. It was on Mad Men. We wanted to do Mad Men first. We recorded yes. it. Um, we probably watched the pilot twice each and then so we recorded it and it went nowhere for some reason we even had a logo it wasn't a great one but i think our logo this time around will be better i think part of the problem was that the fun when we did mad men the original pilot i guess um the fun of it was watching it together Right. That was part of the awesomeness of the idea because we were living in the same town and then three months after we came up with this idea, I moved 10 hours away mm-hmm. uh, and then you started professing and I started doing whatever I've been doing for the past year. You know, and just so, being a general baller. Just being, you know, a scumbag. <laughs> but, but, you know, yeah, so that doesn't help when people move and do other stuff, but... Uh, the idea has obviously stuck with us, and I still think it's a good one, even though other people, you know, they've tried podcasts, but ours will be the best. So we are re-motivated. We had to yeah. rename it to Pilot Study, um, which I hope is what I called it at the beginning of this epilogue. I already had to re-record our intro because I called it Pilot Season. The show is called Pilot Study. We had to rename it because in the three months or the four months that we kind of took off, probably more than that, probably like a year, actually. <laughs> I think it was a year and three months? Pilot season was taken by about 10 other podcasts, all of which started pretty pretty much in that span, so they're obviously spying on us. I have never felt as bad as when I logged into iTunes the other day and looked up pilot <laughs> season to see if we could still use it, and there were like four other groups doing the same thing, and they had picked out like really good shows, and they had all these synopses written up, and I was like, oh man. Yeah, but they're, all, they're all chumps compared to what we're going to do, though. There's so. room for everybody. I mean, you know, for every Mark Marin, there's a Pete Holmes, right? So... Yeah, who's also very popular. I mean, I'll I'll settle for Pete Holmes' level of sure, popularity. Sure, sure. <laughs> and I, uh, I'll do that. The one last thing I'll mention is that we are going to be part of the Modern Vinyl kind of family of podcasts, considering that's my site. And I wanted to house it there because I think people that like vinyl records usually like other forms of pop culture, like TV. So this will be our first uh, non-music podcast that we'll be hosting and I'm glad it's this one because I'm very excited to keep doing it. Alright well I uh, I hope the little epilogue kind of was able to shine some light on exactly what we're trying to do here. We want to just basically take a look at pilot episodes and a whole range of them. They don't have to be good. I think the ones that are bad they'll probably be our funnier episodes. Yes. Since we, we kind of consider ourselves funny. I don't know if that's actually true. I, am, I consider myself a comedian so I hope that somewhere somewhere we're out there. I'm gonna stumble upon a funny saying or something. I, th- I think you will. I think you'll you'll have a catchphrase by episode two or three. I'm trying not to swear. I want this because of modern vinyl's reputation. Yeah. I do not want to soil it with my potty mouth. As you know, every other word out of my mouth is usually the f word. We have a very Christian brand at the site. You know, very Christian, I, very clean. So I want Mike Huckabee and his kids to be able to listen to this on Sunday. <laughs> right after the debate dad put on pilot study but here's what i mean what we're doing is good we're gonna watch pilots you can put this on as a companion and watch the pilot yourself it's the same length of time you'll have our expert commentary right i think this time we certainly spoiled the episode way early on (laughs) 
but yeah, but that, we'll, we'll, know, we'll try to six years. We'll try to pace ourselves, <laughs> right? And try, yeah, try to try to provide yeah, try to provide like a commentary, not as it's happening, but you know some little facts and. It's it's not going to be directly as a commentary, but you should be able to listen to it along with the episode and kind of have it's a fun a time companion. with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Companion. I guess you didn't say commentary. I'm putting words in your mouth, man. No, I said commentary. Maybe. Anyway, it's a commentarical companion. That's perfect. Let's just leave it right at that. We're inventing words now, and we hope you guys will listen in the future. Pilot study. Pilot study, not pilot season. Get it right. <laughs>